Hi, I'm Brady Breeze, safety for the Detroit Lions, and you're listening to The Only Playbook. Welcome to another episode of The Only Playbook. The offseason is officially upon us. This is episode 46. Just going to talk about news around the NFL, coaching hires, what that is going to behold for implications for these teams. Uh, again, I am Sweetcar. Joining me virtually because of this crazy ice we got going on outside is Shovit and Shashot. What's going on, guys? It is cold out here. It's so cold, man. It's like freezing rain. It was hot yesterday. It was hot. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, yeah, it was like 80 something yesterday, I'm pretty sure, right? Yeah. It was hot. Like I walked outside and I was like, I'm wearing too many clothes. Dude, it's freaking freezing outside. I had to defrost my car on the way to work, leaving work. I had to scrape the windshield. I mean, this shit, like, I left Nebraska for a reason. I'm not trying to do that shit again, bro. So uh, it was a pain in the ass, but uh, I don't know. I, I think that's going to mean that that means that at least I get to come home early from work and maybe I don't have to go to work tomorrow. So fingers crossed. We'll see. Yep. Um, but again, thank you guys so much for joining us. Again, so much to talk about football. Action is over, but news and headlines and everything that's going to impact next season is all of the meat and potatoes of what we want to discuss. Obviously, if you've enjoyed our content thus far, we're everywhere. You should know that. Twitter, Instagram, uh, TikTok, at The Only Playbook, all podcast platforms, everywhere you can listen to a podcast, Spotify, Anchor, Google, Apple. Um, and obviously, if you're watching, you're watching on the YouTube channel at The Only Playbook. So please like, subscribe, tell your friends, leave a review, anything, everything that will help spread the word. Because um, that's all we want to do is bring you the best news from NFL information. So with that being said, guys, so many teams came into the offseason basically in a flux. They fired their head coach. They really wanted to head in a completely new direction, et cetera. Uh, let's jump into these teams that have fired a coach, lost a coach, and now have filled that vacancy and kind of what that highlights uh, and, and kind of the implications of that long-term heading into next season. Uh, where do you guys want to start? The first hire was uh, the Chicago Bears, where they got rid of Matt Nagy. Finally, he had to go. Um, you know, say what you want about him, but that was that we knew that from towards the halfway of the season, he had to leave and he was uh, replaced by uh, Matt Eberflus, uh, who is a who was a prior linebacker coach, played uh, coach for the Colts and a good defensive coach for the Colts. Uh, they The Colts were 30th in the league prior to him starting and went up to climb to 10th in terms of points allowed, 11 in yards allowed. So he's worked with some great peop- uh, great players, uh, uh, Leonard, uh, Darius Leonard, Demarcus Ware, Sean Lee. So he, he's a, a good fit if you want your defense to be better. But in terms of whether this was a right move for the Chicago Bears, I'm not sure I'm convinced in that sense. I think that they definitely needed to improve on their offense. And I don't know if this coach will allow uh, Justin Fields and that team to be better than they were last year. Okay, yeah, solid points. Um, Eberflus, I think that's how you say his name, um, is different than Matt Nagy in one big part that matters a lot, and that is to adjust Matt Nagy did not like to adjust. He was just known as a stubborn guy who was just always wanting to run his schemes. He didn't trust his coaches. He didn't give coaches his, the freedom. He kind of just said, this is my way. This is how we're going to do it. If we crumble, which we will, 
we're going to do it my way. So, you know, that is just a toxic environment. We know that um, this day and age, there's no room for that anywhere, especially as a head coach of a billion dollar franchise, right? Or however much dollar franchise. That's just not acceptable. He was given yeah. too many chances and it didn't work out. However, during this interview process, the Bears selected Iberflus and they confirmed that they wouldn't have this problem going forward with him. Uh, he has openly mentioned that he's going to play to players' strengths. He's going to use you know, certain gadget players that we like to see the Bears use. However, they just disappear after a while. You're like, what happened to that guy? You know, And then he just doesn't show up. He scores like whoever it is, may score like two touchdowns in a game, and then he won't, he won't get any targets for like six weeks. So Iberflus has made a statement saying he will play to his uh, people's strengths. And when I say people, I don't mean just players. He's talking about his coaches as well. He's giving coaches a lot more freedom, um, and he wants to build this offense around fields. So these are all the things that he's actually vocally mentioned he wants mm-hmm. to build this offense around Fields. And, you know, that was a big concern. We were like, Andy Dalton's coming in, Fields coming in, Andy Dalton's coming in, Fields coming in. It was just, there was no trust value um, with Matt Nagy. And uh, and I think Iberflus is just going to eliminate all of that. And he's like, we're going to run this, we're going to run this way. And um, I'm willing to adapt. And that's just on the offensive side. This guy's a defensive coach, right? He's a defensive coach. And he loves that Tampa 2 style that, you know, the old Lovey Smith style that they used to play, that they used to use in um, Chicago. Um, but he's also adaptable on defense, right? So Indianapolis had been running this three, four offense for years, um, under Chuck Pagano and they didn't have this like Aaron Donald styled penetrating force. So what did he do? As soon as he got there, he's like, all right, we're going to get rid of this whole position as a whole. We don't need it. Aaron Donald. We're going to put two players in that spot to penetrate up the middle, you know, no joke intended. However, it worked, you know, it ended up working. They uh, like Sweet, I mean, uh, Shovit mentioned some stats, um, but here's one stat that matters quite frequently or, uh, you know, intensely, I guess. Uh, they were piss poor in run stopping before he came into the picture. He's turned this franchise around, uh, which was in the 20s, lower 20s as far as run stopping goes. And now they rank eighth at the end of last year. So he's made lots, heaps of changes along the way. And that has led them to, as Shovit mentioned, being the um, 10th ranked team as far as points allowed. So, you know, anything is better than Nagy and anybody is uh, acceptable in my book if they're willing to adapt. Yeah, I, th- I think you're bringing up a lot of good points. Shovit, you know, initial my initial thoughts were the same as you in the sense that this this franchise has found or, you know, they think they found the, their future quarterback, right? And so it's really, really imperative that they have coaches and people in place to see that through whether fields is the future or not it still remains to be seen but there's a lot of promise obviously a top 15 draft pick and all of the success in ohio state so last year like you mentioned show like they were teeter-tottering between a rookie that they wanted to give the reins to but also with a veteran that they knew would just be able to get the job done so it was like a team not really understanding where they were headed. Are they rebuilding, trying to build with this quarterback for the future? Or are they still trying to like scratch and claw to some wins and try to make that seventh seed? So I think the interesting thing about the Chicago Bears is not only do they have a brand new head coach now in Matt Eberflus, because he's defensive minded, uh, he is obviously going to have to delegate the offensive side of the ball to the new head coach, the new offensive coordinator that they hired, uh, Luke Getze, who obviously came from 
uh, the Green Bay Packers in the division, who was a quarterbacks coach there, right? And I mean, say what you will about that. I don't think there's a ton to coach when you when you have a guy like Aaron Rodgers, but also being around Aaron Rodgers, knowing kind of how he prepares, his mannerisms, what leads to him being successful. There's got to be something that he can take away from that and and kind of relay that to Justin Fields. So I think that's important. And then obviously the GM that they hired, Ryan Poles, who was, I think, in charge of player personnel for the Chiefs when they drafted, traded up and drafted for Patrick Mahomes. So uh, there's a lot of guys in play with this franchise now that have seen and visualized quarterback talent and been been able to have that come to fruition. So uh, I think you have, again, the backing of a guy with Mahomes, the backing of a guy with Rodgers. You have all of the talent there to delegate, allow Eberflus to, you know, run that defense and, and bring back that, you know, Bears defense that people were so scared of before. Uh, and again, let Luke Getze and then the rest of the gang uh, coordinate with fields and kind of see where that goes. But I, yeah. I think that's the biggest thing she showed is when you're hiring a guy that's minded one way or the other, or, you know, they're, they're known for one side or the other. It's really important that they still remain a really good leader, right? Because at the end of the day, like we've experienced with the Vikings and Mike Zimmer, you can't just be defensive minded and then just expect the other side of the ball to do what they do. You're still the leader. You're still on the chain of commandments. You're still higher than the offensive coordinator, right? So it's still your job to make sure that what's needing to happen on the offensive side of the ball happens. But the day-to-day is obviously run by the offensive coordinator. So that's the kind of stuff that you look for in this day and age, in my opinion, for a head coach. And, you know, whether this is the right hire, Shovel, like you mentioned, it remains to be seen. But yeah. uh, the the, the kind of the, the GM, the offensive coordinator that they've gotten, I think sets the stage for at least the fact that they're attempting to build around Justin Fields. The coolest thing about him is the, the, you know, personnel and the culture needed to be changed in the Chicago bears. And one thing that he implemented when he was the Colts uh, um, linebacker coach was he, he would give out tie dyed shirts whenever the players got a pick. So it was red, and if they got a pick and they scored a touchdown, they would you know, wear the red tie-dye shirts and, and blue if they just got a, a takeaway. So it's like things like that, like the little things that um, influence someone and sort of motivate the players. So yeah. in that aspect, I think he is a, uh, a good hire in terms of motivating and, and personnel and culture change. Yeah, it's it's obviously, again, a franchise that got a new head coach, got a new general manager, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, and special teams coordinator, right? So if you want to look at a franchise that's completely done a U-Haul and 180, it's the Chicago Bears. So, I mean, I think your guess is as good as mine what next year is going to look like for them because, again, it's a complete overhaul. But um, at least having a guy that you know could be the guy of the future from a quarterback perspective really, really helps a new regime, right? Because then you can build around that guy as opposed to trying to find or hit on a quarterback of the future. So, yeah, I mean, again, the Chicago Bears, obviously, Matt Nagy, one thing I wanted to highlight with all these coaching hires is just interesting to look at the way the league is headed in terms of uh, the age and how young a lot of these new hires have become. The Chicago Bears actually went in the opposite direction with the trend. Nagy was 43 and Eberflus is 51. But again, still younger than I feel like even 10 years ago, you looked at head coaches and a lot of them were in their 60s or even 70s and shit. And it was just, again, a new era of football. So that that's going to be a revolving theme with these new coaching hires is how much younger these teams have gotten. But the next team on the board, uh, the Denver Broncos, the Denver Broncos who have fired 63-year-old Vic Fangio uh, was not getting the job done. And they have hired 42-year-old Nathaniel Hackett, who was the Packers offensive coordinator from 2019 to 2021. Obviously, when you're a coordinator, again, of a team that has Aaron Rodgers, you always wonder, you know, like, is it the coordinator or is it just the fact that Rodgers is really fucking good? Um, But again, 
despite all of that, he's going to be a first-time head coach. It'll be really interesting to see the direction in which this Denver Broncos team heads because their defense was so stout last year, so young, and we felt like even this year, this is a team that is one quarterback away from contending for the Super Bowl, right? They have the weapons, they're running back with Javante Williams. So this is a team that now has hired a offensive-minded head coach who is young, innovative, and now they're going to probably be trading for a possible quarterback. And obviously the rumors are swirling that Aaron Rodgers is on the trade block. So what better fit than Nathaniel Hackett gets his quarterback into a Denver system that now has already a stout defense? I mean, obviously just reading through the tea leaves and pure speculation, but what are you guys thinking about Nathaniel Hackett here in Denver? Yeah, I think I think it's a solid pick. I think it's a little bit of trying to get Aaron Rodgers and maybe even Devontae Adams. Yeah, like, package you know, those guys. Yeah, package those guys to try to come into to Denver. Although I don't know if since that split, I don't know if he wants to go into the West Coast anymore. But that's a different segment itself. But I think that uh, he's he's got a great Hackett has a great. I guess, resume compared to everybody else in terms of win uh, with Matt LaFleur. I mean, winning 39 games uh, in that three-year tenure uh, is, is impressive. Allowing uh, the Jaguars with Blake Bortles as your uh, quarter, quarterback, and he was the quarterback coach there, uh, allowing him to succeed in, in as best as Blake Bortles could have done. And that's absolutely uh, terrific there as well. So this is, this is a solid hire. Uh, Broncos have been a good defense uh, in the past three years, although that hasn't correlated to a winning record uh, for Vic Fangio. However, and, and the offense is what was lacking, right? Teddy, what's going to happen with Teddy Bridgewater is Drew Luck. And so this kind of puts them in that right direction of making that offense uh, a core front of their team instead of just their, you know, their defense that we've come to see. So I think it's a good hire. Uh, fun fact, he's actually a hip hop dance instructor. I don't know if you guys <laughs> if you guys knew this or not. I won't I'm not gonna believe this until I see it. I need to see some videos of him. I wonder this. so I was thinking of what that means. I'm like may, well maybe like the touchdown celebrations will just be spectacular for the Denver Broncos. Like every time they score they just show the camera Nathaniel Hackett. He's the guy that does the celebrations for yeah. that team. <laughs> awesome would that be I'm just yeah. I'm just imagine like some uh, remember the Titans shit where like pregame he's just got the whole team Team during their warm-ups oh, yeah. doing like a freaking simultaneous dance and shit but dude like we talked about with Eberflus and his unique tie-dye shit right like this is the kind of stuff that I think makes coaches stand out because everybody that's interviewing and gets hired for a head coaching job pretty sure they have the resume to be able to even get the get the interview that they can coach right they have the resume it's, it's always about what makes you stand out why are you different why you versus the next guy so I think those little things are so so important yeah, for at least for the players. Like, it might not be important for the GMs and other coaches, but at least to gain the players' trust. Okay, so um, I think this is a good hire. I think this is one of those scenarios where, like, you know, Shovin mentioned they've been a good defense. Uh, I don't, Not even just for the last three years. Ever since I've known the Broncos, they've just always had a good defense. Or, like, they're kind of like the Ravens in that sense. They focus a lot on not allowing points. However, you know, Patrick Mahomes doesn't care how many points you want to allow, you know, all these other guys, newer guys, they don't care how many points they're going to allow. They're going to score. Um, there is no good defense to the perfect pass, and we're developing quarterbacks all throughout the league that are just turning out to be, like, miraculous. Like, if you just take Herbert, like, even 20 years ago, he would have won, like, six MVPs. You know, it's like that type of skill level is now the norm. And what do you do to adjust for that? You don't try to stop that. You try to overpower that with a better offense, right? So, yes, and what better offense than – somebody that has sat next to Aaron Rodgers for at least the last three years 
and watched his every motion. You know, um, Aaron Rodgers was already great before he came into the picture. He was the quarterback's coach in Jacksonville. And when they hired him from Jacksonville, Aaron Rodgers on a tweet was like a marvelous coach or something like that. Yeah. He said something along the lines of, um, yeah, he said, um, fantastic coach, really good teacher of the game. So like, this isn't an Aaron Rodgers effect kind of a situation. This is the perfect guru for some, for, in, for, for somebody that has already mastered the art, which is Aaron Rodgers, right? So it's like he watched Aaron Rodgers and he just was like, hey, you throw for three touchdowns, let's make you throw for four touchdowns. Or like, um, you you know, you're getting older and you need to, you know, uh, protect yourself more. Let's have you scramble this way a little bit more. Like, you know, it's those adjustments that he's been doing. And Aaron Rodgers has been vocally thankful of him and he appreciates him a lot. So that's saying a lot because Aaron Rodgers doesn't just give out, you know, yeah, green flags just because he has to. He's a very much uh, open-minded guy. He will tell you if this guy sucks, I don't want to work with this guy. He's very open about stuff like that. So for him to praise a quarterback or a uh, coach this much, it means something, right? Like it's a, he told, said he's a good teacher. He's a guru. So um, yeah, so I trust this. I trust this hire quite a bit. All they need is that quarterback. And like you guys mentioned, what better way to lure Aaron Rodgers to a place that he would you know, want to be at than just have somebody that he's respected for this long. Um, and, you know, the whole Matt LaFleur thing, that can get eliminated here. There's always, a, like, over the last two years, it's been like, is LaFleur doing this or is Aaron Rodgers doing this? Like, who, who's the real guru here? Well, it's Aaron Rodgers. You know, Matt LaFleur might be great in whatever he does, but Aaron Rodgers still has to throw the ball. And um, saying after saying all that, um, yeah, this guy, if he just brings in Aaron Rodgers and that bonus point of bringing in, uh, Jamal Adams, or not Jamal Adams, uh, Devonte Adams, this team becomes unstoppable. They already have the weapons that can do a little bit of everything on every field of play. You know, they have the deep threat. They have the quick uh, slant guy. They have the guy that can do it all. They have two good running backs as of now, and they have reputable, formidable tight ends, right? So this is a perfect hire. Like I couldn't have wanted anything more for this team. So I'm happy they yeah. did this. Yeah, just to piggyback off of that, you know, there anyone that goes into coaching the Broncos are in a good position because of their cap space. They have about 50 million, and I know that's probably going to be uh, gone if you hire guys like uh, you get guys like Aaron Rodgers and Devonta Adams. But they also have 11 draft picks, so they're in a position with their uh, squad that they have now to definitely have a uh, a strong future uh, for them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think you guys are spot on. I mean, Aaron Rodgers and Devonte Adams, it, I, it's interesting because even last year, it felt like when Rodgers was hinting that he wasn't coming back, Adams almost all of yeah. a sudden started hinting the same thing. Right. So yeah. there might be more truth to this package deal than like even anybody knows right now. And so, I mean, you think about a package of Aaron Rodgers and Devonte Adams, and I'm sitting here thinking, I'm like, what team in the NFL would not instantly probably become at least a seventh seed in the playoffs in right. either conference if they traded for Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. I don't think there's a single team that that would not. So, um, I, I, again, that's going to be a win-win for every team. But like you said, a team that is literally a quarterback or, away, or so they feel, um, again, getting a guy like Nathaniel Hackett really paves the way for that perennial or possible reunion. But, again, Aaron Rodgers – Weird dude, man. He could literally just retire. You know, who knows? So uh, the, regardless of Aaron Rodgers, the Broncos now put themselves in a position to either trade for other guys like Russell Wilson or, or, or other veterans that are on the market, maybe even a Kirk Cousins, or they can now draft a quarterback for the future, knowing that a quarterback that they draft is not going to take up as much salary cap. And with all that cap space, any other deficiencies in any positions that they have, they can solidify. So yeah, you're looking at a team that is built 
like a perennial Super Bowl contender. Because again, we've talked about this in the past. Either you have a Hall of Fame quarterback or you have a really good defense and a quarterback typically on a rookie scale contract. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if the Broncos can't hit on one of the big names via trade or um, free agency, who they end up drafting and kind of which way that direction heads. But uh, interesting time for the Denver Broncos. And yeah, like you said, I'd be super excited because this is a team that as long as we've watched them, have always had a pretty good defense to a damn near great defense. So uh, even when their offense was good, I don't think it was because they had a quarterback or they had a coach or a quarterback's coach or anybody that had, I think, the next level offensive mind that Nathaniel Hackett has, like even when they got Pete Manning and stuff. So I think this is just going to be such a change of scenery for any Broncos fans or people that have watched the Denver offense over the last decade or two with the way they play their offense, the way that, you know, they rely on their defense. It's just complimentary football, but now they can literally be a run and gun offense and still be that dangerous on defense. So look out for the Broncos, I would say in 2022 and 2023. So let's jump to the Houston Texans. The Houston Texans were obviously just such a complete shit show from a heading into the season this year situation with the Deshaun Watson news. Uh, you know, you couldn't even name probably like 10 guys on that roster because they were just basically filling roster spots with guys that basically they could just put on the field for the sake of putting on the field. So it was a very interesting time for Houston. Obviously, we talked about Davis Mills a lot. You know, they drafted a good quarterback because they didn't know what was going to happen with Deshaun Watson. They had a quarterback in Tyrod Taylor that was supposed to be their bridge quarterback till they figured out what happened with Watson. But Tyrod Taylor got hurt, wasn't cutting it. And then Davis Mills, the, the unknown rookie quarterback from this draft class, comes in. Obviously, it's not like the Texans were destined to succeed or anything, but definitely outplayed what his expectations were. So, um, now you basically relieve David Culley of his duties. He was 66 years old and they did get a little younger, but again, it's, it's not substantially younger and it's not really changing uh, from that big of a standpoint. But Lovey Smith, obviously a household name, a guy we've heard around the NFL with the Bears, uh, spent the last four seasons with Illinois uh, coaching college football three-time head coach with the Bears, the Bucs, obviously with Illinois. And, you know, back in 2005 with that Chicago Bears team, he was a former coach of the year. So again, the, the prestige is there. Uh, the track record is there. The resume is there. Uh, and I, I think it's interesting that a team that really still is searching for an identity hires a coach that at least is established, right? Because you could go two ways about this in a sense. You could bring in a young guy to help you know, build a brand new identity and culture. But we, I saw, you know, the interview with like Kevin O'Connell, he, he talks about key players on the team that he wants to col collaborate with. Right. And you, you bring in a young guy to the Texans. I'm like, who the fuck is a key player on the Texans? That's young. That you're going to be like, yeah, I'm going to turn to that guy. And me and him are going to talk. Like, There's nobody like that right now. Right. On the Houston Texans. So I think it's really interesting that they did bring in a guy that doesn't need to go in there and find players to start to build around. It's a guy that's already has his own foundation. He's obviously got the, a way that he coaches because he's a three-time head coach. So somebody who already knows what the hell they're doing is an established head coach, I think is an interesting hire for the Texans. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I mean, interesting is probably the best way to put it. This guy, you know, he was a defensive coordinator, uh, a household name. We know what he, he went to the Super Bowl with the Chicago Bears. Uh, so definitely someone that you know. Of. However, I look at how, what Lovey Smith has done for the Houston Texans as far as their defensive uh, just track record from last year. You know, they were 27th in points allowed and 31st in yards allowed with Lovey Smith as a defensive coordinator. So, I, I mean, as far as like maybe as a person and a leadership role that he provides is probably far from none and and uh, far, far from others. And he just maybe provides that. But he 
it's strange when I see a team that struggled in defense, what they didn't struggle with takeaways. They, they were top 10 in takeaways last year. And, and it seems like that's kind of what they were preaching, like go get the ball. And uh, that's what their main focus was. Uh, but to see a, a team that wasn't as good in defense last year, hire, uh, you know, move up a defensive coordinator to, to the head coach position is, is interesting. Um, and uh, I'm just curious to see where they would go. They have, they, Lovey Smith has questions with Deshaun Watson. Looks like he's going to go. At least he's got a solid foundation with Davis Mills, who looks like he's going to be the quarterback of the future for uh, for now, and, and to at least for next year uh, for the Texans. He probably was the best rookie quarterback last year, um, in my in my opinion. Uh, Maybe outside of Mac Jones. Even I see, I would argue that he was better than Mac Jones. I think Mac Jones was served, like he just fit with that scheme, but I think Davis Mills uh proved that through key games against the Rams, against the Chargers, that um he could lead that team. So, I mean, it's it's a toss up, but yeah, it's an interesting hire. I'm, I'm curious to see what the Texans will be like moving forward. I actually think that they're going to be a lot like what they were this year. I don't see any big changes in terms of their record or because of this hire. Yeah, I mean, the the main thing here is like coaches can only do so much, right? Like there's, you still need the personnel and they're lacking heavily on many levels as far as player players on the field. Um, I, you know, I, I sense they will improve. I, I do sense that because I think they're going with a more of a holistic approach. Like everybody get in a circle, hold hands. Let's do this as a team. Let's like, you know, that's, that's what they're going with as far as the coaching staff and like the behind the scenes people it's looking like they're trying to delegate more work and spread it around rather than just get one head coach. Okay. Fix us. You know, it's That's not what they're doing. That's why they're, that's why they just upgraded somebody that was already on the team. Cause now he already knows what's wrong with the team, right? It's not like you need to bring somebody into the team and be like, okay, fix this. Oh, it's going to take me three months to fix this. No, they are already working on fixing it. And they were already fixing these things towards the end of the season. You know, we saw some of these games where we're like, dang, Texans are the wor- the best worst team in the league. Right? Like, so Looking at all that, I see why they did that. However, however, if I'm ever in a situation like this, you know, I've talked to many Texans fans about the situation. Nobody's happy. Nobody's really happy because, you know, um, from like a fan's perspective, when people see this type of performance, it's embarrassing. It's, you know, it's like it makes you doubt like your fandom. It's like, you know, it's, it's, it's those really, really grueling moments. It's like back in the day when the Vikings were five and 11 didn't last very long. Cause we're perennially a good regular season team. But you know, when you're this bad for this long, it kind of like disheartens you, right? Like you don't want to go to the game. You're like, why, why would I go to the game and blah, 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 walk all the way there and blah, blah. You know what I mean? Like that's the type of energy that's being developed right now. And uh, towards the end of the season, we saw some possibilities. We're like, okay, they can beat certain good teams. You know, they do have these X factors um, and they might not show up in the form of a really good player, but they have good schemes. Like they figured, they, like you said, they're top 10 in turnovers. And that's literally what Lovey Smith has been doing his whole life is just forcing turnovers, right? That's what they do. But then somebody, somebody could argue you do, you can force a lot of turnovers when you're playing defense for that long, you know, cause their offense wasn't doing anything. So there's on their defense is on the field always. So it's like, you can force more turnovers that way um but yeah all said and done you know i I see what they're doing it's not something that i would do i think i would probably start establishing because they have that ability to do it they can go fresh they can go totally fresh um but yes um i think they went with the approach to like kind of delegate um the stress level amongst all the coaches rather than just blaming it on one guy and they just wanted to upgrade somebody that already knows what's going on so i understand that i get that and there's nothing wrong with that i just don't know if it's going to make that big of a leap 
but it was interesting to see how the end of the season was and maybe they can kind of go off of that and make some big strides how like do you, do you guys think that this when when going into making a decision like this you think about the texans right they're an expansion team so how many years do you think in expect like what 2006 was it 04 or 06 2001, or i think right? or was it 2001 shit yeah i mean early 2000s right how many years do you think a, an expansion team has to go uh, through without like whatever they demand is success, whether every franchise thinks a Super Bowl or bust in terms or like consistency, even for expansion, right? Like either you're not making the playoffs every year, but you're consistently winning games and it's, you know, competitive and you're in the playoffs every other year or whatever. Houston, I mean, in, in their entire time as an actual franchise now, uh, the Texans anyways, I can probably think of maybe two, three seasons max that they made the playoffs. I mean, again, don't quote me on that, but they have not been a competitive team for the most part, right? I mean, they've had flashes of really big, big great players, JJ Watt, like Deshaun Watson, Hopkins, all those guys, but like yeah, Andre, Andre Johnson, Johnson. Right. right? So, Arian um, Foster, yeah. yeah, but they've, but, but like, where's the consistency been where I, you know, I don't, I, at what point, again, it's been 20 years now, 20 plus years, do they just start to hit the panic button? Because in a sense, you can, like you said, Shisho, it's, it, they should like logically it made sense to just you know overhaul the culture right because again for the longest time i feel like this team was just in in a clusterfucker like stagnant and not not exceeding expectations but also kind of just living as bottom feeders or like middle tier and being okay with that but again do you think the lovey smith hire is more so like a panic move knowing that they're bringing in a guy who's at least you know been to the super bowl who's at least been coach of the year who's seen success and that can help at least emulate that or, or try to bring that type of culture. Because if you do bring in like a fresh guy who's the first time hire, that could be another four or five years before you're competitive again. Yeah. And again, uh, are the Texans kind of hitting the panic button with this Lovey Smith hire? I think it's just, it's overdue. It's like overdue to see some success. You know, we haven't seen success since for a while from the Texans. You know, we saw some sparks of this Deshaun Watson stuff, but that just mitigated really quickly because of all of his scandal stuff. But yeah, I think, it, I think it's like, you know, like here's the scale, right? Here's Lovey Smith. Here's hiring a new guy. Hiring a new guy would probably move like this, you know? Hiring Lovey Smith would probably make it a little bit more like this, right? Like they can see some immediate change because he knows the player personnel. He knows the responsibilities of the coaches. He knows all of that. So it's basically like this is like a 2.0 of last season versus bringing in a new guy. It's a 1.0 of a new season. So it's slower uh, strive towards greatness. I think they just want to see something. I think that may be yeah. what they're trying to go with. A lot of their problem happened with the whole Bill O'Brien situation too, right? Yeah. Like they were a good True. team when Bill O'Brien was a coach. And then he, they also made him the GM. He traded away uh, DeAndre Hopkins. It's like, why would you do that? Yeah, that and was then, just... And it's just, they've, they've been an unfortunate um, franchise because of Bill O'Brien and then the whole Deshaun Watson issue, J.J. Watt leaves. The, so they, I think they've tried to do the right, have the right uh, things in motion, but then maybe delegated too many powers to the wrong resources. Yeah, again, I think, I think if you're heading in a direction where you understand that it's hard to win in the NFL, that it takes literally from like the ground up to build a foundation and roots, because at any point, if you put something in there that's poisonous or toxic or something, all of that that you've built can literally just dwindle away. Even the Bill O'Brien thing, right? He's, he was a veteran coach that they brought in. So the Lovey Smith hire, again, just seems kind of similar to that in the sense of like, th these guys have a res resume. Uh, they're not coming on like a blank can canvas or a clean slate. They have ideologies as a former coach that they can bring to the table. Um, 
But I think, you know, unless the Texans win relatively soon, they're going to continue this revolving door of bringing like, you know, guys who are qualified, but they're not like blowing you out of the water. They're not like going to get the get, get the uh, fandom super excited because it's like a completely new thing. Like, oh, my God, like what's this going to yeah. look like? It's not like that. Right. So it's just uh, I'm worried that this franchise is just going to continue this re- revolving door of mediocrity because they're so worried about the the, the, the trust, the process, the, the, the length it takes to build a foundation or Again, when you're when you're a expansion team, I don't know if it just comes with some added pressure because it's like the new kid at school where like there's been guys that here for fucking since kindergarten now and we're seniors and you're like the guy that gets thrown into the fire and you're like needing to adapt quickly. So I don't know. I think I think that's kind of what made me a little bit uh, really like when they when they thought Lovey Smith was the right guy for the job, but. Who knows? I mean, again, yeah. the Texans are probably just trying to put a product on the field that's worth watching, which again, credit to them towards the end of the season, it got there. So maybe like you said, show because Lovey Smith was part of the team that was slowly getting there, it can you can just be like, hey, Lovey, we'll just prop you right in here and then we can continue that build. Yeah, so. and, and he was a former coach of the year, right? So it's yeah. like, it means something. There's something there that they kind of see that, you know, the general public just doesn't appreciate just yet, but we'll yeah. see. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, obviously, Texans struggling franchise, another franchise that was a total shit show last year, the Jacksonville Jaguars and their fucking uh, start to the season with Urban Meyer. I mean, God, that feels like ages ago now. They had Urban Meyer to start the season. They fired him midseason. They promoted Daryl Bevel, um, who was the interim. And then now they go with another familiar face former Super Bowl champion, Doug Peterson, right? So Doug Peterson comes in here, ages pretty similar, Urban Meyer 57, Bevel Interim was 52, Peterson 54. But this is another similar to kind of the Houston Texans, in my opinion, in terms of uh, hires. But here's why I think it's personally different is you're bringing in a guy like Doug Peterson into, God, again, we talked about the Houston Texans and how at the beginning of the year, they were putting a product on the field that was unwatchable. I mean, I'd say that the Jacksonville Jaguars were putting a product on the field that was unwatchable, maybe 90% of last season. So uh, a lot of that stemmed from Urban Meyer and his toxic culture and how probably that leaked beyond him getting fired. But you're bringing in a guy in Doug Peterson, again, who was coaching the Eagles from 2016 to 2020, had a year off last year, uh, took that team to the Super Bowl in 2017 with Nick Foles as your quarterback, right? This is a guy that helped develop Carson Wentz. And we know who Carson Wentz is now. He's not even wanted in Indianapolis and who, who brought a journeyman, a guy that literally is, could be grocery, you know, bagging groceries at your local Kroger in Nick Foles to win a Super Bowl. So this guy is deemed somewhat the quarterback whisperer. And now you're probably getting put into the best quarterback situation, at least from a possibility standpoint that Doug Peterson's ever been in a former overall number one overall pick in Trevor Lawrence. Right. And it's, I don't know if it, if that's the reason. Again, I don't know if it's similar to the Texans where, God, they were so bad that they just need somebody who's done this before and had success to like just slowly start to get them out of this toxic nature. Or if it's one of those things where, again, the Jaguars are always panicking because they're the Jacksonville Jaguars and they struggle with the idea that it's going to take a four, five, six year build because they've just been so bad that they're like, you know what, here's a guy that's won before. We already got the number one overall pick last year. We're drafting what first again this year, second, something like that. Uh, so there's, there's pieces in play to help build this. And, and a guy that's already won that has success with shittier quarterbacks now gets a former number one pick. Yeah, this is a, a great high. I think this is exactly what the Jaguars needed after being after that tenor with, uh, Urban Meyer. And Can you even call it a tenure? God, that was so short. It was, yeah, no, I, I guess not. It was, it was, it was a shit show, is what yeah. that was. And and uh, uh, so he's, um, 
he's coming. Doug Peterson's coming in with the same offensive coordinator that he had um, in the with the Eagles, uh, Press Taylor. Also, the defense coordinator Mike Caldwell in the, with the, in this new coaching gig. So, uh, you know, he this guy. I, I don't expect the Jaguars to come in and be like a a team that's hot and just wrecking the league right off the bat. But he's going to be a coach that's been there. He's won the Super Bowl. Whenever the Eagles fired. Uh, Doug Peterson I was actually shocked I'm like how could you let this guy go who has led you to the promised land and I think it was a lot because of the personnel with the owner and the coaches yeah and he he didn't have enough of um say so and who to hire who not to hire which I I fully expect the Jaguars to be able to provide him with with that another thing is the offensive coordinator Press Taylor is the younger brother of Bengals coach Zach Taylor so (laughs) I mean if you want an offensive coordinator that probably knows what he's doing, I don't know if by, by siblings, I'm, I'm sure they say, they yeah. share similar ideology or they don't because it's super competitive and they're like, fuck you, bro. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're both, they're both offensive minded. So maybe yeah. that, maybe there's something that rubs on them. But if I was a Jags fan, I would be super excited for this hire. Um, so I think way to go Jags. I, I give them like a, a, a plus on this hire for sure. Yeah. I mean, going from, freaking uh anything's an a plus anything's an a plus okay um but yeah i like this pick i like this pick a lot you know it's somebody that's defeated you know like really good players in the super bowl um it's somebody that other coaches love like i've read into this and you know all the coaching staff that he's ever worked with love him like they really like him because um he lets people he gives them the freedom they need he gives other coaches a lot of freedom and there's no animosity there's no tensions when he's working it's like a it's a a well-oiled machine when doug peterson's at head coach and who doesn't like that right like if you're you know you're sacrificing everything to be this special teams coach and doug peterson comes over here and says hey man you're doing a great job like i I appreciate everything you're doing like that's the kind of energy like even the special teams coach is going to put a little bit more effort just because he knows that he's being recognized for his work right it's it's simple human behaviors like these are, these are the things that everybody should be doing, but not everybody does this. And Doug Peterson is really good at this. All the coaches, all the players that he's ever coached, they all love him. Like there hasn't been anybody that's like, oh God, Doug Peterson's a fucking asshole. Like it doesn't happen. And I think whenever you hire somebody like that, that's won Super Bowls that, you know, you can't not hire that guy. Someone's going to hire him. I, I don't know why he hasn't been a head coach in the NFL for the last couple of years, but it was overdue. And um, I think wh- what better place to start than having a, quarterback that has all the skills that we've seen in college but looks like a chicken with its head cut off in the nfl he just needs like a little bit of um you know maybe some motivational speeches i don't know what he needs but he needs something and i think doug peterson is that guy so um yeah so this is a great hire and i would also give this an a plus yeah he's not gonna be kicking anybody kicking the kickers and kicking the kicker kicking the kicker and things like that sounds like a good that sounds like that sounds like a joke like that sounds like something you would make up like oh yeah yeah, my coach is kicking the kicker in practice like what what are you talking what are you doing no that actually happened yeah that's a real thing and it didn't just happen in like football it It happened in the highest level of professional football possible where you are vetted and like the resumes are like fucking pristine next to each other and you're picking the best of the best no the coach that they hired kicked his kicker yeah. It's a real thing. So uh, it can happen. You can like mess things up that badly and, and misconstrue uh, interviews and like let people like give you the perception that they're ready for a job that they're not. Uh, so I'm with you guys. I think the Doug Peterson hire really, really fits the bill. 
Um, I think it's really important. I think, and to show to, to hit on your point, I think it was just last year that he was out of the league. And I think it was because he didn't like, he didn't find a fit for a coach. So like, I don't think he wasn't wanted. I think he's, he was waiting for the right opportunity. And I think this is like a, I'm pouncing. And like you said, Chauvet, he's so well liked and loved. And, and, and he brought press Taylor. He's literally bringing like his whole regime with him. It's like me and my posse. Oh, you want me? I got my offensive coordinator, my defensive coordinator, my special teams, like yeah. literally lining up behind me, ready to go. Come on guys. And so yeah, it's like, He's, he's doing it for the homies. Like, yeah, he's like, he's like, I'm, a, I'm gonna get the bread, and my homie's gonna get the bread. And we're all getting the bread. <laughs> so it's like a freaking Scooby Doo. What's that Jim line with the homies sitting in first class? Oh God, I don't know. I don't know. That's okay. That's right. um, we'll add that in into this uh, yes perfect <laughs> perfect soundbite jinkle um but yeah i think i think this is going to be super super important for jacksonville i don't know where doug peterson is going to take them but one thing is 100 percent for damn sure that i can guarantee is he's going to leave it whenever his tenure's up a lot better than the way he found it because like yeah. you said she showed they could have hired a dude off the street and it would have been an improvement over yeah. the shit show that they had last year so um it'll be interesting I'm excited for Trevor Lawrence finally gets a guy who's going to probably empower him, not try to kick him in practice, like not try to do things that coaches should not do. So uh, empower, empower is, I think, the theme here. A lot of guys that can delegate and that have the ability to empower other leaders into being successful at what they do, because uh, the last thing you want is a micromanager, as we have learned. So uh, Jacksonville Jaguars, the future is bright for you. The Vegas Raiders, another triage of co uh, coaching, uh, head coaching change within the last year. So obviously they started the season with John Gruden. We all know what happened there. Uh, then they had uh, Rich Busaccia come in as the interim, who did a really good job. I think he ended up earning a job somewhere else now, not as a head coach, but he did actually supplant or like he got promoted to another position somewhere else. So happy for him. But who they bring in is 45-year-old Josh McDaniels, who obviously is a very, very household name in the NFL. He's been a Patriots offensive coordinator for the last nine years, right, under that Belichick era, like obviously under Tom Brady. He's got five Super Bowl or six Super Bowls uh, as a former coach. Um, obviously, we know that he's had a head coaching stint as well. Back in 2009, the Denver Broncos hired him. Uh, but there was a lot of there was a lot of weirdness to that time. They had Jake Cutler was their co uh, quarterback, so obviously he came with a ton of baggage, and there was a ton of controversy there. And then I think there was some shit that happened with Brandon Marshall, where uh, Josh McDaniels decided to bench him, and then the next year uh, Brandon Marshall got traded. So um, he was he went three and nine, and then immediately got fired mid season. So that coaching stint did not last long. Obviously, that's 12 years ago. So you have to believe that after that and under the aura of Belichick and everything that he stands for and all that good stuff and Tom Brady, he's learned a whole heck of a lot and is ready for this Las Vegas Raiders uh, head coaching job. What do you guys think? Yeah. First off, Rick Basakia, he's now the special teams coordinator for the <laughs> Green Bay Packers who very much needed. Needed that. There. Needed that. It, yeah. you, we know how badly that was needed. So for them to take a guy who wasn't even the special teams coordinator at his previous job, that yeah. just probably got some IQ. Yeah. Um, but in terms of Josh McDaniels, I mean, this guy, you know, top 10 finishes eight times in the league with the Patriots, including the number one ranked offense in 2007, 2012 and 2017. So, I mean, like, <coughs> Tom Brady. So, yeah, yeah, you could say that was Tom Brady as well. It definitely was Tom Brady, but it's it's going to be curious to see. I'm going to be curious to see how he works with Derek Carr. This is Derek Carr definitely need someone like this to, um, I guess, enhance his career he's been sort of a mediocre tier 
two, two and a half uh, quarterback throughout his career. So I, I'm hoping that Josh McDaniels comes in and lets this sets this offense and where it needs to go. Um, they had a fairly good defense, I would say, last year. Uh, so I mean, anytime you hire someone from the Patriots, I would say, you know, like, the there's optimism. Yeah, there's yeah. optimism. The future is bright for you. Although yeah. he hasn't had a good sort of track record being a head coach, um, you know, with the Broncos and then the Colts, he just kind of backed out last minute, I guess. But uh, yeah, I'm curious to see how this, how he functions uh, in, in this new Raiders team. Yeah. Um, Raiders got really lucky with this hire. I wanted this guy like when the, at the beginning of the um, off season, when things were kind of, uh, you know, uh, people were looking for new head coach. I, this was probably number one on my list in for many reasons. Uh, number one, I mean, I'm going to tell you some reasons. This is a good idea. And I'm going to tell you some reasons why this is a bad idea. Uh, number one, good reason. You come from a winning franchise, right? Like, who doesn't like people that are winners? Just, they win all the time. Whether it's the Tom Brady factor, Bill Belichick factor, it doesn't matter. You come from that culture. You understand what it takes to win. You're part of that unit. You're uh, another reason. Uh, we, huh? I said you're a robot. You basically become a robot. Yeah, I would love to be a robot. If I'm a winning robot, I would love to be that guy. Um, so, and then another reason, um, you know, it's not Bill Belichick calling the calling the plays. He's still calling the plays. The, the plays that Tom Brady call, uh, does, you know, he's telling Tom Brady what to do for the most part. There are some times where Tom Brady does Tom Brady things. However, overall, the system is run by this guy. It's not Bill Belichick. It's a huge misconception that, you know, a lot of people probably don't know. They just know the term Bill Belichick. It's like Bill Belichick just, he does everything. He doesn't. He does not run the offense. He doesn't even call the plays. It, um, you know, it's been him this whole time. It's been Josh McDaniels. Um, so that's a huge plus, right? It's a huge plus. You, you, you're basically taking what's been working in the Patriots world and you're like, yeah, let me just put that over here in the Raiders. Like that's what they did. And that's a great move. It's a very smart decision uh, with the, with the quarterback that's, you know, has the uh, potential. I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, and red zone success. You know, he, they, there's a thing with the New England Patriots. It doesn't matter who the quarterback is besides Cam Newton. Uh, for like the last seven even years. Cam Newton. Even Cam Newton, right. But, um, you know, they're always finishing at the top end as far as red zone success goes. And now we know it's not just Tom Brady because um, players like Cam, uh, sorry, um, Mac Jones, you know, he even finished seventh last year in um, red zone success. So, you know, this is a system quarterback. There's certain things that play here that are beyond just Tom Brady. And, um, you know, and he's going to be bringing that because the Raiders, they were ranked 22nd in third down conversion rate and inside the red zone. Don't even get me started. It was a shit show as far as the Raiders uh, were considered um, in the red zone. Uh, there was John, uh, sorry, uh, Waller was like injured here and there. He was like a no name for the late half of the season. It's time to bring in a real red zone offense person and delegate certain things that they need to do to accomplish this red zone stuff, because let's get, let's get real. The Raiders don't have a bad offense. That offense isn't bad. They run it pretty well. Right. Um, so here's another, here's the reason why it could not work. And it's the same, same principle. Um, they're getting a new GM also. It's not just a new coach, the new GM and a new coach, just like the Vikings. Um, so, you know, this, it makes me wonder, do you want to go with, uh, you know, don't fix what's not broken scheme as far as the Raiders offense goes, because the Raiders offense, wasn't really that much, you know, uh, incompetent. They were still competent enough in many ways. I just hope they don't come in trying to revamp the whole offense because that's going to, you know, nobody wants to like, you know, let, let's say I'm training and I'm, I'm training in one field and someone's like, oh, you did this for three years. You learned everything in this field. Let's just put you in a different field. Like what? 
dude, no, like, you know, like, why don't you just enhance what I'm learning right now? Right. So I hope they go with that approach because revamping the Raiders offense from scratch does not sound like a good idea to me. That's too much learning. That's too much. That's too much taking a back step. And I think, you know, he has that. Uh, I read some places that he has tendencies to do that whenever there's new players. He tries to kind of just like start from scratch, like my way or the highway. He's, this isn't a nice person. This isn't like the Doug Peterson people that I was talking about. He's known to be stern. He's known to be like, this is how you do it. I don't want to hear how you do it. So, you know, that brings a different kind of attitude. And um, when you have a new GM and a new coach and the coach is like, you know, this is how you win Super Bowls. You know, yes, you should listen to that guy. But also, this isn't like a Jaguar situation. This isn't like a Texan situation. They're, this is a middle of the pack team. You know, it's like they're, they're pretty good sometimes. So I just hope for their own sake, they don't try to build up from scratch. And they just, he kind of has to like let go of his ego and just kind of like help car grow rather than turn car into Tom Brady. Yeah. I, I mean, the thing with Carr is interesting because I think he's due for an extension. Either um, it's going to be a big pay, pay raise or whatever. I think the rumors... oh, I think he just got it, didn't he? Or he's about to. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, like, the... it's supposed to be like 40,000 or 40 million a year. That, that's what the projection is. So it's just going to be a matter of whether the Raiders pick up his option and agree to pay that or they right. try to trade him and he goes somewhere else. Now, obviously, with the hiring of Josh McDaniels, I think there is incentive to keep Derek Carr because like you're hitting on show that there's we've I, at least I personally have always felt like there is another level to Derek Carr that for fucking the life of me i cannot understand why we can't get there i'm like the talent's there like the dude's a great dude like he's a leader everybody gets behind him like what is lacking and i couldn't figure it out um so you know there, this is a really interesting guy to come in and try to unlock that but at the same time if he comes in and thinks that Derek carr is already who Derek carr is going to be this is another interesting spot for them to just move on from Derek Carr and, and try to find a quarterback of the future that Josh McDaniels can completely mold. So um, again, they have two ways that they can go with it. And I think, Shishu, you were talking about the red zone thing and it's even more evident in Cam Newton, right? Because Cam Newton's been dog shit. He's been dog shit, but where's the one place that he's excelled like the last season and a half in the goddamn red zone vulturing touchdowns. So what's Josh McDaniels done when he's had Cam Newton been like, Hey, I know how to use this guy. This is all he's good for. So I'm going to put him in a position to succeed. And that's being adaptive. That's knowing the cards you have and knowing how to use them, right? He wasn't trying to get Cam Newton to be Mac Jones in the red zone. He was trying to get Cam Newton to be Cam Newton. So they were designing all the plays for Cam Newton to run. And that's the only place that Cam Newton saw success in the last three, four years. So um, I think that's also a testament to his ability to help this Raiders team be more consistent in scoring the scoring points in the red zone. So um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what to make of this because I don't know the direction that the Raiders are going to head with Derek Carr. If they're bringing back Derek Carr, then I really, really like this because I think this can help uh, unlock the next level. And, and yeah, I'm with you, Shishot. I don't think they're going to come in here and he's going to come in here and try to just like rip apart what's already kind of worked and, and build from the ground up. I think he's going to try to add on to what's already working and the run game, the run game for what it was last year, um, you know, for fucking many parts of the year, Josh Jacobs was garbage, but we talked about it a lot. It was their run blocking and their, uh, the run blocking from their offensive line. So I think he's got to come in here. He knows that from the Patriots, his regime with the Patriots, what's the one thing the Patriots always had was impeccable offensive line. So hopefully he comes in and he's like, he's like, guys, I don't care what the hell we have on the roster. The one thing I know is we need to get offensive line. So start there and then maybe, maybe try to help. Maybe that can help Derek Carr. Maybe that can help Josh Jacobs and that can just help the offense as a whole. So maybe that's the missing element there. Hopefully it is. Uh, Cause again, I've been, 
I felt like I've yet to see Derek Carr at his peak. And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe we've already seen it. It's the Matthew Stafford. It's the Kirk cousins. These are all the same person. They're just different. People have different ceilings and different floors, but they're all in the same category. Yeah. Maybe Kenyon Drake gets the ball more often. Josh McDaniels like, we're paying this guy so much money. He's not on the ball. Maybe you start utilizing him like the Stevenson and, and the Harris role that they used in the Patriots. Yeah. Very, very well. Very well. But again, for, from where the Raiders started to how, like, the middle of their season with the Henry Ruggs, the John Gruden, like, how it could have basically derailed into, like, you know, by the end of the year, like, are the Vegas Raiders even staying in Vegas? Like, I think it could have gotten that bad. I think Rich Musacchia did a hell of a job to, oh, yeah. you know, get get into that position with a team that literally is as discombobulated as possible with a head coach that obviously the situation that uh, that took place and, and gets into a position where they, what, made the playoffs by winning their final game? And, and so um, I think McDaniels comes in and sees the second half of that season and sees what he's got to work with. And there's a lot to like there. So um, I think it'll be good. The direction for the Raiders hopefully is, is, is the right direction. I think a lot of people thought that with John Gruden and, and that wasn't the case. So let's get some stability with these teams. I think a lot of teams just are searching for stability and not, and not a merry-go-round and a circus of coaches, because like you said, what player, you know, Kirk Cousins being a great example, constantly gets thrown a different offensive coordinator, a different head coach, a different system to learn. Who the hell wants that? Who wants to learn something new every single year? Like nobody wants that. Like, especially when it takes multiple years to even perfect the one system you're already trying to learn. But every year you're like, all right, this is thrown out the window. Here's something new. This is thrown out the window. Here's something new. So um, hopefully the Raiders can get some consistency with McDaniels. They extend their car and we see the next level, the Matthew Stafford progression that uh you know in Derek Carr maybe so anything else you guys got there nope just out of prison right <laughs> yeah yeah I think they'll have a better job doing that now the Miami Dolphins had an interesting offseason they fired a coach that I think a lot of us were not really expecting to get fired Brian Flores just 40 years old uh with how you know I don't know that with the way they started the run that they went on, the way that they ended the season with, you know, a lot of promise for the future. Uh, they, they fired Brian Flores. We later learned that there's a lot of stuff kind of uh, behind the scenes in the locker room with the front office, all that stuff that, you know, th- there's a lot uh, that's going on, I guess. Um, oh, I think we lost your shirt there, uh, but that's okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you'll hop back in here. I don't know if it's just his connection, but yeah, we understood obviously after Brian Flores got fired that he didn't sign that non-compete disclosure or whatever the disclosure was to not leak all the shit that was going on behind the scenes. So he's going to come out and talk about all this stuff. So we'll know exactly why he got fired. Uh, Obviously he's already landed a job again with your Pittsburgh Steelers, Steelers, uh, which if you're Chauvin, you have to be super excited about that. That's a whole other story, but they replaced Brian Flores, get a little bit younger. They're like, you know what? He's only 40. We're getting younger. We're thinking younger. So we're going to go with, 38 year old and this might be the most interesting the most like i have no idea what's going to happen higher of the offseason for head coach they go with mike mcdaniel who is 38 years old he was the san francisco 49ers offensive coordinator last year uh it's going to be obviously his first time as a head coach but beyond last year show he was an offensive coordinator. Before that, he was just like a skills coach and like random coaches. So this is the this is a guy that is now at 38 
entrusted and given the reins to an entire NFL franchise with very, very little, very little actual coaching experience. I mean, he was the run game coordinator. What's up, Shashok? Glad to, glad to see you back with us. Uh, he was the run game coordinator for the 49ers from 17 to 20, and we know how crazy that run scheme and that run game has been. So there is obviously some brains there. He's a history degree from Yale, so you got to assume the dude's smart, but very little coaching experience. Are you worried? Are you intrigued? Like, where are you guys history at? History degree? History degree. Dang. From Yale. Like, why go to Yale if you're just going to get a history degree? What are you doing in football, bro? What are you doing? Yeah, exactly. Probably... And that's the question. Yeah. No, you, you do a history major so you can focus on football, nice. you know, and yeah, you don't have that's, to. That's exactly what it is. Exactly. Right. <laughs> no, I think this is such a unorthodox pick um, and by the Miami Dolphins. And and I, I worry. I, I worry for Mike McDaniel uh, because it's the Miami Dolphins, you know, although they had a pretty good year with Brian, Brian Flores winning seven straight. Uh, this is this is a tough spot. But, you know, he this is a guy that has kind of followed Kyle Shanahan everywhere he's gone. So you're basically getting a Kyle Shanahan prodigy right now with, with this guy. He he gets hired. He's on his little private jet plane. He FaceTimes Tua. And they're talking like they're bros. Like, he's not even, he, you know, it's like, hey, bro, like, we're going to be amazing. You know, I'm paraphrasing, but that's kind of the gist of the conversation. So in terms of what that locker room needed after Brian Flores basically calls out Tua in front of everybody and says, you're a terrible you quarterback, <laughs> you suck, like, why can't you be like uh, Deshaun Watson? You know, it, this is kind of like the right move in that direction. Um, so, and he's hired the right assistant coaches to kind of mitigate some of those fears that people may have in terms of coaching experience. So some of the notable hires has been Wes Walker as a wide receivers coach, uh, Patrick Sertain as a defensive uh, uh, assistant coach, Frank Smith as an offensive coordinator. So, um, you know, and, and just, just what he did to the 49ers, he, he allowed them to be a top 10 offense last year. So that's huge. Uh, but going back to all these guys uh, that he hired, the staff includes 300 years of coaching and 183 years on just like the NFL level. So, you know, he's the biggest question was, can he get someone in place to be able to, uh, you know, are, are coaches, our offense coordinators and different, different people going to be able to come to him and be like, yeah, I can get behind this guy, even though he's 38 years old. Like, yeah, he can be my head coach. You know, you got there's a certain disrespect one may get when you're being a, when you're young and he's kind of combated that. And he, now he already has a plan in place. Step one is done. Step two is instilling that plan with his coaches and then and and putting a product out in the Miami Dolphins. So uh, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be very like unorthodox and different weird stuff going on. But I, I'm excited to see what uh, what they got going on. Yeah. So, you know how we you know how much I love Kyle Shanahan, right? You know how much I love this scheme. This is the this is he's bringing the same scheme to a different team now. So now there's two teams running this Kyle Shanahan offense. It's called the wide zone scheme, right? It's. You know, do you know how this works? So this is what they do, right? So they basically take a really, really fast running back. You have to have a fast running back. So you take a fast running back, you stretch laterally as much as you can, right? You you take all your fat guys, you tell them to go sideways, and you make the running back also go sideways. You wait, you wait, you wait, and then you plant and go forward. Like that is it. That is the wide zone scheme that Kyle Shanahan lets this guy or let this guy run. Uh, there for so long and he's bringing that same thing here and it's and it's the best it's the perfect run formation you know like if you want to if they want to keep doing this whole we're going to have a running identity like you know if, if you're going to do that if you're going to be that team 
you have to be able to do this wide zone scheme. Otherwise, you're fucked. Like, you, you either progress with time or you get left behind, right? Like, these old guys doing these draws, doing these run up the middle three times. Like, it's a dead concept. When are people going to realize this? And I think this year, this hire, this Mike McDaniel hire is going to change the game as far as realizing what a running team looks like. Because there was a lot of questions like, oh, it's just the 49ers, you know, like, you know, nobody thought about replicating that shit somewhere else. Like, no, nobody thought about moving it somewhere else and creating that as a new staple for a run game. And, you know, I've been saying it for years. Like, when you have three guys in motion in one play and then you have a play going sideways waiting for the perfect opportunity with the fastest of fast running backs and just they go forward, like, it's foolproof. It's a full foolproof plan. And it's worked all these years and it's going to work. It's going to work. This is going to be a successful tenure as far as the running game goes. It's just a matter of, you know, can their defense hold other teams? Like, because the 49ers have always been known to be have a good defense, just like all these other guys we mentioned so far. So I am worried not even a little bit. Like, I am not even worried at all. This is going to be a successful offense. This guy brings a good culture, a good scheme, you know, and he's young. He's young. He's still, he, he's worked with so many superstar coaches, so many players. He's gained all that knowledge and he's still young. He's still going to improve, right? So we're talking the new age of football, and it's happening right here, right now in Miami. So I'm excited. I'm beyond excited for this team. And, you know, a team that has all these running backs, they don't know what the hell to do with these running backs. Miles Gaskin. Miles Gaskin season, maybe. I'm not going to be that guy to draft him early. Someone else can take this risk. But let me tell you, if this works out, it's going to be a game changer for Gaskin's career for whoever drafts him. So yeah. all I know is I am a hundred percent sure this running scheme is going to continue flourishing in Miami. Yeah. And I think one thing's important here as well is obviously there's the Brian Flores had a problem with Tua, uh, but I don't know if the Miami Dolphins as a franchise have given up on Tua. It doesn't seem like they have. That's why Brian Flores is gone. So I have to imagine in my, in my eyes, I don't think Tua is going to be a, amazing quarterback. Like I think his ceiling is going to be, he's going to be an average to maybe slightly above average. And what did the San Francisco 49ers over the last three or four years show? They can sustain a level of success with a very average mediocre quarterback in Jimmy Garoppolo. I think Tua is literally Jimmy Garoppolo, but maybe slightly, slightly more athletic because he's like the guy that gives off the perception that he's athletic and quick, but he's not really. He's black. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and then, but, but he's also a lefty, right? So, uh, there's, there's differences, but in terms of like quarterback skill, I think he's very similar to Jimmy G. So yeah, if he's bringing in the run scheme, if he's bringing in a system that lets average to maybe slightly above average quarterbacks thrive, there couldn't be a better fit for Tua. And, and like you said, Chauvet, it's the polar opposite and it's the best way to approach this new team is, uh, Brian Flores literally exonerated Tua and said, you suck in front of everybody. Um, Mike McDaniel, as soon as he gets hired, he FaceTimes Tua. He's like, yo, what's up, dog? So, like, again, completely different approaches, but he's, he's doing all the right things. He's saying all the right things. The one thing that always makes me stick out, that always sticks out to me about Mike McDaniel is his interview earlier this year where they talk about why, you know, he, they, he's asked why the San Francisco offense is so successful. And I think I told you guys this before. Literally, he's like, it's very simple. We do what other teams don't do. Yeah. So, like, I mean, that as as simple as you can break it down. What is everybody else in the league doing? Great. Let's not do that. Let's do something else. And so, like, the element of change, the element of surprise, the element of something different that people haven't seen. Like, obviously, to 
put that different thing, it, uh, I guess, to, to have it come to fruition on the field and execute the way you envision it, that takes skill. But for him to just think the idea of being different, like that's not a unique concept. Everybody wants to be different, but how they become different is unique and, and, and can either be successful or just be a shit show. And I think with Mike McDaniel, he's showing that being different, being unique has led to this again. Jimmy Garoppolo, a guy we shit on all the time, but the 49ers are consistently competing. And so there's a reason for that. So I think he's he's fitting the system of having Tua in there perfectly. You talked about obviously the run, the running game. Miami just has been so bad with the running game for over a decade now. Like I can't think of the last decent running back they had. Maybe Ricky Williams. Like it's been a while. So like they're they're not Hello. known. They're not known for their running. So I think he's he's fitting uh like I guess he's fitting like a puzzle in two of the biggest places I'm seeing is the running game and how he's meshes with the quarterback that they have currently. And that's Tua. So um, yeah, I'm excited um, for them as well. What are you gonna say? Real, real quick, a fun fact. I don't know if you guys already said this while I was uh, interrupted, but um, uh, you know, how, um, I think the last thing I heard was he follows Mike Shanahan around. Kyle, well, Kyle he Shanahan. followed. Yeah. Well, he followed Mike Shanahan around too. his dad, Kyle Shanahan's dad. He was the ball boy for the Denver Broncos when Mike Shanahan was the head coach there. So he just like loves the Shanahan's. So, uh, you know, again, I have no doubt this is going to work out beautifully. Yeah. He's been around so many football geniuses. Mike Shanahan has his own prestige and Kyle Shanahan that, I mean, it's at this point, it's almost like, dude, how did you not take away like, like important things from those guys? But yeah, yeah again, uh, very quirky, very unorthodox. Obviously I'm sure like his videos have circulated with his interviews, the way he talks and stuff, the things he says um, in the off season, I was very intrigued as a Vikings fan about like the possibility of him being there just because it's so unique and different. And, and that's what people are looking for these days. So uh, if there's one thing for sure, the Miami Dolphins are going to be doing things that besides the 49ers, other teams don't do. So uh, it's, it's going to be interesting to witness and see hopefully uh, a progression for that team as a whole. Our team should show the Minnesota Vikings had themselves an offseason. We finally relieved Mike Zimmer of his age 65 self um, in 1945 ways of thinking. Be like, dude, sorry, bro. 21-year-old girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's one thing. There's some things that he's progressive in thinking about, you know, things about, and clearly it's women. So uh, I don't know what his priorities are. But anyways, Mike Zimmer is gone. You are gone. Sorry, bro. Like, you're fired. You, they literally went 29, almost 30 years younger in 36-year-old Kevin O'Connell, offensive coordinator for the LA Rams, who have just come off a Super Bowl victory. Kevin O'Connell's story is insane, man. I mean, he was drafted in 2008 to be Tom Brady's backup, maybe possible replacement. Tom Brady retires this year, and this dude's already landing a head coaching gig in the NFL. <laughs> so um, super interesting. The uh, you know from from what I've like when I watched this uh, interview with the Vikings recently, she seems incredibly intelligent. I think that what was really interesting to me is how similar his thought process and style of thinking was to the Vikings GM who they hired Quezzi, uh, Adolfo Menza. They both have like such similar core values and visions in the way they approach football that it was almost like, holy shit, like this is scary how excited I am because it seems like a match made in heaven. And so to me, it's a 180, obviously, because we've also totally hired a new GM, head coach, offensive, defensive, and special teams coordinator. We're changing complete culture, yet we at least have a foundation or a core foundation of young to aging stars that have been, you know, 
our core pieces for years and years, and now will be our core pieces for uh, for years to come. It'll just be interesting to see. Obviously, the biggest question for the Minnesota Vikings is going to be what's going to happen with Kirk Cousins, and um, you know what the domino effect is going to be after that. If whether he stays and restructures, whether he gets traded, and we get, you know we get rid of his cap hit, um, but from a coaching standpoint, and Kevin O'Connell. I'm insanely excited because obviously he's coming from that Sean McVay coaching tree who stems from Kyle Shanahan coaching tree. So um, it's just like another, you know, another small segment of the holistic Kyle Shanahan, Shanahan approach that it's impossible not to get excited about. Yeah. Anytime you bring a, a coach that has previously won a Super Bowl, you bring in that culture and sort of what sort of mindset you need to have uh, as a team to get you to that next level and uh you know he was a right-hand man uh for sean McVay. the 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 only thing is he wasn't the guy calling the plays for the rams uh sean McVay still had the primary duties of calling uh, every single down however he was in the whole process of designing the scheme uh you know the game planning and teaching the players um so i think that in terms of the Vikings, what they're trying to, what sounds, you know, just speaking to you guys and what they're trying to do is go younger, be able to collaborate with their players and have a better culture in that locker room. Um, and, and, you know, someone that Kirk Cousins could mesh with. Uh, my understanding is that they are still, you know, full throttle on Kirk Cousins. They're not going away from him. Uh, and so this is a good hire in terms of trying to get that collaboration with the quarterback and the coach, which was kind of missing um, all of uh, Mike Zimmer's tenure. So, uh, it's a, you know, it's a good hire for them. Yeah, yeah. Anything could happen as far as uh, players go. Like, we're going to, there's going to be a lot of changes. It's not going to stay like this. There's going to be a lot of changes in the next few months before, uh, during the draft and after the draft and all that. So, it's going to be hard to look at that, but you can look at what O'Connell brings, and that is a passing heavy attack. You know how people run to set up the pass? Well, he passes to set up the pass. And he doesn't even play action. He doesn't even want to entertain the that there is a running back back there. And that's all I've ever wanted. Since the day I was born, I probably came out of whatever saying, give me a passing coach, please, God. And it's here. It's here. He doesn't He doesn't even like play action, man. doesn't even care about play action. He throws to set up another throw. And if you watch the Super Bowl, which I hope you did, that was a huge formula for the, the Rams' success. Just their whole season, if you just look at it, they just throw to set up to throw. And they even, you know, when the running back's involved, he's catching a pass from the quarterback. So it's like, yeah, they're going to run just to kind of keep things casual or whatever, like, you know. But there is no run-heavy attack here. And that kind of scares me a little bit because that's all we've known, right? That's all the Vikings have been known for since Randy Moss retired. It's the dawn of time. Yeah, that it's a run-heavy offense. And, you know, it's not going to be anymore. It just can't be because the, the ideologies this guy brings is just not the same. It doesn't mesh. It doesn't work. And, you know, and, and he's like a pocket pre uh, presence passer kind of a guy. It's just all signs point to not much running going on. Um, and then I look at like mock drafts for next year and everything. And like they have Dalvin Cook at number two. And I'm like, eh, uh, I don't know who's writing these mock drafts, but it's not going to be favorable for, from fantasy perspective. Um, however, you know, um, there's some other things that I like about him too, not just the whole passing attack thing, but he's the complete opposite of Mike Zimmer. He's just complete opposite in every sense of the word. He's a, you know, progressive guy. Mike Zimmer was just so gung-ho about his own mentality. He was all in his head. Um, 
And then, you know, like communicating with players is all about communicating with players. It's about communicating with people above him, below him, next to him to just make sure everything's meshing well versus Mike Zimmer was not doing that. You know, there was a lot of animosity within the organization because of that culture um, dynamic. Um, and yeah, he's going to be calling the plays now. It's, it's, he's openly said all that. Like, um, I think he's learned enough through McVeigh uh, and everything. And I, you know, I don't want to say he wasn't completely not responsible for calling the plays in um rams land but um you know he's he did his due diligence there he learned what he had to do and he knows what it what it takes to uh create this pass heavy offense and i think now that he's calling the plays there's no problems here there's no issues with who the offensive coordinator is going to be it doesn't even matter who the offensive coordinator is they're gonna have a completely different role than what the than the role they've had during like zimmer era um and the best part he has a vision for the defense too like he's already like this guy is just it's like you know it's like this is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Like this is that's what this feels like. Like he he's going with all these ideologies you want from a young coach, but he's like, wait a second, I'm not gonna forget about defense. You know, like I, I have my own visions. Your head coach, like you, when you have an offensive minded head coach like this, they don't really do anything as far as defense goes. You know, you hire a very well known defensive coordinator and you let that guy take reins. But he's like, and I quote, he's like, I definitely have a vision for what I want the defense to look like and play like. First and foremost, the core characteristics of playing good defense, which is guys flying around, a great tackling group. We're going to force turnovers. We're going to, uh, with how we play from a scheme standpoint, but that's an effort thing. That's playing with great effort, sustaining that, finishing plays, making it about football. So it's, there is no finger pointing from this guy. Like if you look at his history, like it doesn't do any of that. It's all about come together as a team. Let's figure out our roles and just mag, just maximize each person's roles. So, you know, um, I think that's everything I got to say about it. It's just, there's nothing to not be excited about. I was excited for all these other coaches, for all these other teams, but this is one of the perfect fit for Minnesota because, you know, we could have gotten uh, Mike, um, you know, uh, what's his name? Um, McDaniel. McDaniel. We could have gotten him, but you know what that does? That creates, that reinforces that culture of running the ball. You know, like as much as I love that scheme, I don't want that. You know, there's a huge dynamic shift that needs to be happening in Minnesota, and it is happening. It is happening now. It's happening from the GM standpoint, and it's happening from the coach's standpoint, and there's nothing to love or there's nothing to not like about this decision. You know, you know what's funny about that quote about that you just quoted is I literally specifically remember Mike Zimmer saying he does not care if his defense creates turnovers. He's like, as long as we play sound football and we get right. stops and we force punts, we do our job. Yeah. And I'm just like, bro, I want to punch yeah. you in the face. <laughs> and so like everything that Mike Zimmer stood, it was funny because Kevin O'Connell almost was taking shots at Mike Zimmer, but not really. It was just blatant because of how, like how everybody has conceptualized what Mike Zimmer tried to do and how unsuccessful he was. I'm not going to create turnovers. Kevin Connell's like, our defense is literally going to create turnovers. And literally one of the first things he said is he's like, I'm not going to hire another coach on my staff that doesn't know how to connect with their players. What was Mike Zimmer horrible at connecting with this player? So like, dude, it's he, Kevin O'Connell came in and took this job knowing exactly what it is. The Minnesota Vikings lacked what they had in the past, why they went away from that, and what they're looking for. Again, this to me seems like a match made in heaven, specifically with the GM, specifically with the coaching staff that he's brought in. And dude, Cooper Cup, all the success Cooper Cup had, just imagine now what the possibilities for Justin Jefferson in this offense are. And the last thing, my favorite favorite phrase that he has started, he uses, the Shanahan folks use, like it's become the new thing. 
the illusion of complexity. And what the illusion of complexity means is you're giving the defense the idea that you're doing something way crazier than what you're actually doing, right? What and, and he and he went into detail about this. It's basically and it's it's like so not like rocket science, but it's crazy that most like a lot of people don't think about this, or if they do, they just don't know how to uh, execute on it. But it's basically having the same formation but having five, four or five different plays and looks that you can give from the exact same formation, right? Because you, you have a base formation and most people, most teams have like one play and then they have one audible that they can run audible out of that base formation. Well, what the Rams did last year, and again, he kept hitting on the fact that he was planning to bring everything that he you know learned and taught with the Rams here. What the Rams did and how they were so successful is basically, you know, the things like Cooper Cup, he was lining up in the slot, Cooper Cup, lining up in the backfield, Cooper Cup, lining up in the outside side, right? They were doing things where they'd have Cooper Cup lined up in the backfield and they'd have five or six different plays pre-snap that they could go to depending on what they saw the defense do. And this is the other thing. This offense gives so much more reins and flexibility and freedom to the guy running the offense, which is the goddamn quarterback, which for the last four years, we've seen Mike Zimmer basically not give Kirk Cousins any reins, right? You can't audible, like basically you have a bunch of scripted plays and what you see is what you get. Well, this is again, like Shashot said, like I'm hitting kind of the nail on the head. This is a 180 from what the Minnesota Vikings have been about the last eight years. So that I think is what makes it the most exciting. Um, And again, like you mentioned, Shovit, who, why wouldn't anybody want to hire a coach that literally the year before just won a Super Bowl um, in, in whatever position they were in? So uh, again, to me, this is also a match made in heaven. I could not be more excited. I think it's also maybe just the ignorance or or the idea that again, this is going to be so different. Whether that different is just like downright god awful, who knows? Could very well be, but there's a good chance that it's not going to be. And if it is that bad, there's a good chance that there's a reason because it's you know it's a process. It's not just because we didn't, we have a coach that's not willing to adapt to the times. At least we know that this guy is collaborative. This guy's adaptive, and this guy's willing to do what the league is dictating in whatever you know new age football we're in. Yeah, to me, it seems like you guys have like you guys have one of the best talents to not make it to the playoffs, and it just it just seems like they were just missing that one that I don't know what it wasn't, and it seems like coaching may be that 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 missing factor. So yeah, definitely something to be excited about when you have all the places already in place in terms of the field goes. Yeah. So uh, again, a lot of question marks for O'Connell, who's going to be the quarterback. I mean, I know the reports are, and it's like every fucking day Ian Rappaport comes out and says the Vikings are going to stick with Kirk Cousins. But um, you know, if we're, if as Vikings fans, we know more than anyone, you know, we said the same thing about Stefan Diggs and traded him like literally a week later, we said the same thing about Percy Harvin literally traded him. So, uh, you know, a lot of times teams do that to help boost this trade value. So who knows what's actually going to happen, whether they keep them, whether they send them, whether they trade them, I don't know, but no matter who's at the, who's at the quarterback position, we, we already know that our skill positions are pretty much set in stone from an offensive standpoint. There's just going to be a little bit of fine tuning with some linemen and, um, and whether we restructure some contracts, but like you said, show it, Kevin O'Connell comes into a situation that to me on paper is not from an offensive standpoint is not very different than what the LA Rams literally look like last year. So for that reason alone, it's better. It's better yeah, than the Rams for that reason alone. How can you not get excited? Because the Rams literally just won a Super Bowl. So um, again, it's going to be super, super exciting. Change is always exciting, especially change from uh, somebody who was not willing to change, I think makes it a little bit more exciting. So um, the future seems bright and at least, you know, the blind optimism of change and something different is going to uh, be something that we're excited about until we, you know, see the product on the field and what that's going to look like. So, 
Next head coaching hire. This one to me, guys, is the most questionable, in my opinion. <laughs> the New Orleans Saints, obviously, Sean Payton, you know, Kevin James, whoever, you know, is the head coach there. Uh, Sean Payton. I just saw that movie, by the way, at the barbershop. They were playing <laughs> oh. it at the barbershop. Did you, I... Did you like it? No. No. Oh, that's too bad. I was, it, it felt like it was a feel good movie. I liked it. Did I you see it? it? Yeah. Okay. So I also watched it. I watched it on one of my flights recently. And obviously you have to go into it knowing that this seems like a joke. Like I like took it with the sense of like, this is this like satire? Like, what is this? And I was also pleasantly entertained because I knew it was going to be really bad. So like there were things that were funny and obviously as a football fan, it's just interesting. Uh, It's interesting to see how they shed light or yeah. How with the clips, how they shed light on the whole bounty scandal, because like they talk about it. Right. But it's just kind of, he's like, Oh, it's a little complicated there. And like, just, they just kind of move forward with it. But um, nonetheless, football movie, like I'm always going to give it a watch, but for what it was, you know, it was what it was, I guess the best way to put it. But uh, nonetheless, Sean Payton, again, relieved of his duties. It's not like he was fired. His contract wasn't up. He just decided to step away from football. This seems like a short-term move. I think it's the situation where the, the roster's changing for the Saints. They don't have Drew Brees anymore. Uh, there's a lot of question marks there. So they've basically given the reins and the keys to the franchise to defensive coordinator from 2015 on, Dennis Allen, right? Dennis Allen's 49. He's nine years younger than Sean Payton, but obviously he's a defensive-minded coach. He was the Raiders, or I'm sorry, he was the Raiders head coach back in 2012 to 2014, but had an 8-28 record. So his one track record as a head coach in the past has not been great. And then he was the Saints secondary coach, again, on the defensive side of the ball during their Super Bowl win during the bounty hit scandal uh, in 2010. So he does come with some winning culture, but I, I want to, I'll say why I'm a, I'm a little skeptical about this is we talked about how much of a genius Sean Payton is, right? We talked about like how there's very few people that have the offensive minds in this league and Sean Payton's probably one of them. And that's the reason that, you know, even after Drew Brees, um, they, they showed some level of success, you know, with random people at the helm, but knowing that they had such uh, consistency uh, in Drew Brees for about a decade now with a guy as offensive guru as as Sean Payton and they were only able to muster one Super Bowl right they were able to muster one Super Bowl and now like they lost Drew Brees they lost a lot of talent they have like no names everywhere Kamara's the only guy that they really have they don't know who their quarterback is so the glue that was holding this team together in my opinion was Sean Payton so now that Sean Payton's gone I think this this seems like a this seems like a easy Higher, but I don't think it's the right hire. And and here's why: Dennis Allen was their defensive coordinator from 2015 to 2021. Right, the Saints have had a really really good defense over the last couple of years. But I think my my issue with this team is they're so deficient on offense that it was very very important, at least to me, that they get somebody who's going to help an offense that is searching for literally a number one receiver is has no quarterback. They don't know who their quarterback's going to be. They need some consistency on the offensive side of the ball. And they lost the offensive guru on Sean Payton. And they got a guy who comes in with a defensive minded track record with an offense to me, that's in complete disarray. So uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see who he delegates, how they delegate whoever, the, the offensive coordinator or, or what level of reins is going to happen on that side of the ball. But our concern this year also was, with the saints was the offensive side of the ball. So you're hiring a defensive minded coach who is already with the team um, to, to, to fill that position. So I'm very, very skeptical on this. I don't know what you guys think. 
Yeah, so to me, your best case scenario is you have Sean Payton and Dallas Dennis Allen as your defensive coordinator. You're going to lose Sean Payton for sure, right? And you just don't have the personnel in the quarterback position. Like, you've got Jameis Winston, um, obviously Taysom Hill, like, who's not going to lead you to a Super Bowl or, or anything of that sort. So you don't, you just don't have the pieces in the quarterback position to, to make a run, but – the thing is, like, that's I don't think that I would blame the coaches for that. Here's why I think this is a good hire for the Saints. When Sean Payton was, you know, he he decided to retire. Dennis Allen, I'm sure, went to the to the owner and said, I want to be the coach of this team. If he had said, if they said no, we don't want you to be the coach, then he's gonna get hired somewhere else, like real quick. I mean, this guy, his his with the Saints defense, they're on a 22 game winning streak of not allowing a hundred yard rusher. Right. And uh, they've been they ranked top 10 in yards per game in, in the last two years and top five in uh, points per game. And so this defense has been their sort of their bread and butter for this team. So what they need to do is fix their offense. And I don't I'm not convinced that having a new offensive coordinator um, fixes with that personnel that they already have, they actually just need to go out and get a new quarterback because what they have isn't working. So it, I don't think that I think that they didn't want to lose what already they have, they have established in that defense um, and then maybe hire the right offensive coordinator, go out and get a quarterback uh, potentially in free agency or draft to make your team better is probably what the idea that they, they try to get on. And I think that, I think that's smart. Yeah. There's um, I, I don't, I don't mind this hire. I don't mind this hire only because, when before he came into the uh, the team in 2015, they were like allowing the second most yards in the league, and as soon as he came into the team as a defensive coordinator, they became a household defensive name, and they have been since then. And um, you know, uh, there's two ways to look at this, right? There's the Shovit way of looking at it, like you just mentioned. They have something good there. Why get rid of that, right? Like, why get rid of that defensive powerhouse? Why not just add that defensive coordinator or the offensive coordinator? Um, cause at the end of the day, these are just titles, right? Like you don't know the delegation. You don't know how, what really goes on, you know, some of it, but you don't really know who's in charge of how much of things. Um, so if you can hold on to that defensive coordinator, give him an, give him a, um, what's it called an upgrade, make him your head coach, pay him more, whatever. Cause he deserves it. Um, and then just hire an offensive, co- um, offensive minded coordinator. Yeah, that that's one way of doing it. And I think that's the approach they're choosing. There's the other devil's advocate way of looking at the situation and that's you're already good at defense right um you're already good at defense you've already have this method it's not like he came in two years ago he's been here for half a decade right um so the philosophy has been engraved into the into the team there's other people that probably know the same things he knows as far as how to handle that defense right it's not just him at this point because it's been happening for more than half a decade. So this is like an identity of theirs. That means it takes a lot of people to kind of establish things like that. That's where you get the, uh, anyways, I'm not going to digress, but um, so you could just keep that defense the way it is. You know, um, you kind of know the philosophy of the defense and then you could just hire an offensive minded head coach to drastically improve that offense because that offense is not going to take you anywhere. And you mentioned Kamara, sweetheart, but Kamara might not even be playing next week because of all those, the Las Vegas stuff. Yep. Noted, never go to Vegas. I have still not gone to Vegas, and I might yep. not until yep. until I see some positive things in Vegas. Noted, but, um, just don't have a team in Vegas either. That's why I was a huge advocate for that. That's true. Don't play sports in Vegas. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you know, like there's two ways of looking at it, and I don't think either way is bad. 
But as somebody that, you know, um, you know, I've had to make decisions like this in like Madden franchises and whatnot over time. And I always tend to go the approach of drastically changing something that's so bad. Like that is the first approach rather than sustaining what's really good and slightly trying to improve what's really bad. I go with the drastically improve what's really bad and then try to sustain what's really good. And um, that's how that's the route the, you know, the, the saints went. So I'm, I'm intrigued to see what this offense is going to look like. I'm intrigued to see. And do they even have a lot of like draft capital? Do they even have a lot of, you know, just, Financially, are they even available to get a lot of good players? I'm not too sure. The so, Saints, well, I can tell you, Shashot, the Saints have the shittiest cap okay. space heading All into right. the next offseason. That's why Sean okay. Payton was like, you know what? I see the situation. I'm out. Okay. So so that's that's the biggest fear of mine is like enhancing this defense, sustaining this defense. But what about this offense that's going to take you nowhere? And you just lost your best player to probably a lot of allegations out for eight weeks, probably minimum. So a lot of red flags here. This is my hire that I'm questioning the most so far. It's it's a solid hire from the standpoint that they want to feed off of this defense and try to improve this offense, but you can't improve something that's trash. You can't improve so that. Bad. You can you need to have a certain level of certain foundation to improve upon it. They need to build an offense. Yeah. Yeah. How are they going to do that? I don't know and I'm not sure if, you know, um I'm not sure if this was the route they needed to take, but they took it and you know, at least we know their defense is going to be solid. Yeah. Again, yeah, that's the thing is like he was already there. I don't know that he was like hellbent and gung-ho on finding a head coaching job. I honestly don't know if like the Saints weren't going to offer him a head coaching job. And they're like, dude, just stay as a defensive coordinator. You've been crushing it. If he would have started pro- uh, proactively looking for other head coaching jobs, because again, he's his defense has been phenomenal for seven years now. I'm sure he's gotten head coaching offerings. Now, I don't know if that's a testament to him just wanting to stick it out with Sean Payton while he's been there. I don't know what the story is, but he, I have to assume that his track record for defensive success has warranted other offers to be a head coach over the last seven years but he's taken none of them. So I don't know what the reason behind that is. I just think, again, when you, when you, when you paint the picture of two sides to show, I'm also of the opinion that like he could have just stayed as the defensive coordinator and like, dude, we can give you, we'll give you a pay raise, but your defense is so stout. We don't want to do anything to mess with that. Let's again, we have an offense that's not even coherent that like, again, we don't even have a foundation for There's nobody to build around. So we need somebody to start a foundation to build upon. And I don't know if a defensive minded guy that can just totally delegate to an offensive coordinator. We've seen how that can work. If there's not the level of empowerment that that offensive coordinator needs to make those decisions. So I just, again, it seems like a forced hire. It seems like an easy hire. It seems like, oh, this is the natural next step hire, but I don't know if it's the right hire spe- specifically pointing to how just awful that offense looked. And I think they need a ton of help. The cap space isn't going to help them. It's going to have to be like, we have to that's, hit on some draft that's picks. That's the biggest problem <laughs> yeah. for me. They're going to have to hit on draft picks. They're going to have to unload a lot of maybe aging old stars that are due a lot of money. And they have to really look themselves in the mirror and be like the cap situation and our offense is not going to give us the ability to be as competitive as maybe we would hope this upcoming season. Let's start to unload some, you know, players that we have to pay a ton of money to because, you know, we need to build some draft capital. We need to get rid of some cap space. And so all of that to say, I think they could have hired somebody who was going to do like from the ground up like work and, and kept Dennis Allen on the defensive side of the ball because the roster doesn't give them the ability, at least from an offensive side of the ball, to compete right away. 
Like this is going to have to be a project. This is going to have to be a build unless a big name quarterback agrees to like get traded to the Saints. You get like a Russell Wilson, somehow Aaron Rodgers, like something like that happens there. Yeah. This offense, there's just not a way for this offense to be, you know, where it needs to be to be competitive. So um, again, it, it questionable to me, obviously there's the camaraderie there. Obviously he knows the saints. He knows the organization, the franchise, that, that, that ability to be like, you know, we hired within, we promoted within. I know there's something to be said about that. So, um, you know, we'll see, but I, I still think there was a better way to go about it, but that's why I'm not a GM or that's why I don't make those decisions. So, you know, whatever guys, the New York giants, the shit show giants last year, Joe judge, Joe judge was fired. He was only 40 years old. So, you know, they tried the young route, but it wasn't the right young route. They have now hired 46 year old Brian Dable, who was the bills offensive coordinator for the last three, four years. Uh, that offense that's completely been revamped. That looks scary as hell. The development of quarterback, uh, Josh Allen. So all of that is the, resume that Brian Dable brought to the table that landed in this head coaching job. It's a, he's a first-time head coach. He has been a five-time Super Bowl champ with the Patriots. He was a wide receivers coach. He was a tight ends coach. So skilled positions he has excelled at, and those teams have won Super Bowl. So again, here's a guy that's young enough that's brought established a winning culture in whatever scope he's been given the ability to, uh, and he's thrived. And again, we've seen a Bills offense and team that has been like the Bills mafia disappeared for you know a, about a decade. And after the Josh Allen draft, and over the last four years, like there's been a resurgence. And Brian Dable was a key piece to that resurgence. So you know, what are your guys' thoughts here with the Giants picking Brian Dable? Yeah, they just basically needed a whole new revamp of what they, their organization is all about. They went and hired a new GM who was also the assistant GM for the Bills. And then they hire um, uh, Bill, uh, uh, Brian DeBull, um, which Dable, sorry, uh, who's also who was the officer coordinator. And I think that maybe this is what helps Daniel Jones from where he's at currently. I mean, uh, you know, it, it, it's just injuries have riddled him throughout his career and he just hasn't been uh, met his potential and, and been what we've expected Daniel Jones to be when he was first drafted. And so, you know, if, if anything, this is probably going to be something that uh, makes Daniel Jones more attractive to trades later down the line, um, you know, and maybe they can figure something out as far as getting better market value for him. Cause right now I don't know who wants Daniel Jones. So there's, I think this is a long-term play. This is a good look for the giants that needed a complete revamp and, um, and a, a, a better offensive strategy. Cause they've just been poor in all fronts of their team. Yeah, I absolutely. This, this team needed an offensive coordinator to be their head coach more than anybody else. Uh, and they got it, you know, um, I don't know if you guys, I think Sweetheart just mentioned it, that he did coach for the Patriots. So that makes him a Bill Belichick tree person, not a Kosh Shanahan person. So, you know, um, he comes from, he's learned some things from bigger named coaches. And um, he also, you know, um, when he was, um, what's it called? When he was coaching in uh, Alabama, he was coaching Jalen Hurts and Tua and all those guys. That was, the, that was their coach. So, you know, he has some rep to having this dynamic style offense. He does not do this traditional sit in the pocket and wait for your things to happen and throw the ball. He very much believes in running with the quarterback. And, you know, in this day and age, if you can execute that properly, that is the move. That is where things need to be going, right? And he he completely understands that. He was he came from a Bill Belichick tree of putting people in the pocket and just letting things happen. 
to going to college and realizing the potential of all these young players to coming back to the NFL and being like, hey, Josh Allen, uh, you, I see. I, it looks like you can make some running things happen. Let's do that all the time. So, like, and a lot of people were comparing, you know, the linear speed of Josh Allen and how um, the New York Giants, um, what's his name, uh, Daniel Jones, he's actually faster <laughs> in linear speed, right? So, like, um, he's obviously not the same body type. He can't handle those hits and whatnot. But he's a big dude. He's like a big, big Ben. He's like a big Ben with a lot of speed. So he can make things happen. This is the perfect coach for, for this guy. It's like, it's just meant to be. And it just happened to just fall into his lap with Daniel Jones. We've seen signs of, you know, like, Oh, that, that was a cool play. And we've also seen Daniel Jones fumble the ball, like two times every game for the rest since he came to the NFL. So there is room for tweaking and there's room for, um, to see his full potential. And if Dable can't do this, nobody can. So this is going to be an experiment because, He's coming from having a Bills team with high-powered offense coming to absolutely nothing of a team as far as offense goes with all these injuries and question marks here and there. So, But but that's the kind of player they needed. That's the kind of coach they needed to turn this around. And I think we're going to see leaps of – we're going to see heaps of changes coming to this New York offense, and we're going to see that Daniel Jones will be a viable fantasy quarterback. Yeah, I think you have to be excited, obviously, because like we said, we've seen flashes from Daniel Jones, but there's been so much, I feel like there's been more bad than good, but I just think he hasn't been able to maximize the good or the coaches haven't been able to help him maximize the good. And like you said, for a guy that, you know, coming into his, his career in the NFL early on and Josh Allen, there were a lot of question marks about him. Nobody thought he was going to be. He was actually bad. Josh Allen was actually bad. Huge accuracy issues. And so like seeing how much he's progressed and now he's, what top five best quarterback in the league. Um, it's, it's insane to think that obviously Daniel Jones is not that good. I think we all know that, but he can be so much better. He can at least play better. He can be in a position to succeed better than he's been thus far. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see again, if Brian Dable can at least, um, get that out of Daniel Jones, or at least find out that maybe he's not the answer and then move on and try to build from there. So at least we're not going to see this giants team in no man's land where it's like Saquon, what are you doing? Like Daniel Jones, what are you doing? There's no receiver ever healthy on the field. So um, Evan Ingram's just dropping passes everywhere. Like that offense was a shit show. So they needed somebody like this. Like you mentioned, I think this is a really, really good fit. I'm interested to see how, you know, quickly he realizes if he can unleash something or unlock something in Daniel Jones, or he realizes that there's nothing to be unlocked and we need to move on as quickly as possible. So uh, we'll see what direction they head. But uh, yeah, for the Giants, they really, really needed something like this. And so it's it's kind of more like a sigh of relief, like, huh, thank God, like we got something that's not going to, you know, put us into another four years of like, we know where this is headed. This is the first time that there's, there's some optimism in the future. That's it. That was, those are the eight teams that had head coaching vacancies and now have filled all of those positions. Um, obviously this is all speculation. Who knows how any of these guys are going to, uh, you know, treat their players, you know, whether that's going to lead to wins on the field, what kind of schemes, all that stuff. Uh, that's what, you know, speculating is all about, but, um, do you guys have one team that you think is going to see the most immediate success last or next year? And then the one team that you think is going to actually, uh, regress, um, I'm going to go with the Dolphins. I think the, I think the Dolphins are going to make immediate changes. Positive? Uh, in, in a positive way. And uh, I'm going to go with the Texans. I don't, I'm, there's there's not much going on there. Um, you know, I, I hope the best. If Deshaun Watson ends up playing, yes, they're gonna, they might make the playoffs. If he doesn't end up playing, 
Uh, Mills, you know, it was nice to meet, meet you. Uh, have a good rest of your life. But um, not sure if it's going to be in football. I don't know. I have no idea. But there's not enough information or player personnel there for me to be like, this team just needs that one spark and they can go far. I can't, I can't openly say that. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say the Texans as well. I mean, they, they've only, they just hired within, got their defensive coordinator, Lovey Smith, not a lot of changes. Um, things are probably going to be, at, the defense is going to be the same. Um, and uh, unless they get some other free agency hires, I don't think a lot is going to change on that team as far as wins and losses goes. But I think the best, uh, op, the best chance is going to be y'all's Minnesota Viking. I think that, like I mentioned, like there's, there's all these, players in place to have a successful season they're 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 missing in in being a little bit more progressive in the offense and, and now you have a coach that can allow you to do that I, I think the sky's the limit for the minnesota vikings makes me happy to hear you say that Chovit. um i didn't want to be the only i didn't want to be the yeah. homer and be like the vikings <laughs> um but I, I personally i think so my question was who do we think is going to uh, progress the most or regress the most, right? The Texans only won what four games last year. I don't know that they have much regressing that can be done. So I'm, I don't know that they're going to like, I think they could be the same, but I, I still give Lovey Smith the benefit of the doubt to be like, even if this team only wins four games again next year, there's at least an identity where, you know, they didn't have one with David Coley. I'm looking at the Denver Broncos and the Denver Broncos with Nathaniel Hackett even if they don't get Aaron Rodgers, they are in the market for a quarterback. They absolutely are. That's known, right? So they could trade for Kirk Cousins. They could bring in Jimmy Garoppolo. They could, you know, get Russell Wilson or they could draft a quarterback. I think that team is literally a quarterback away from being really, really scary. And now they have an offensive minded coach to help get them to the promised land to finally unleash those receiving weapons that constantly are underrated. Jerry, Judy, Cortland Sutton. I mean, I've been raving about Tim Patrick all last year. So I'm excited to see my boy Tim Patrick finally get to eat but it's going to happen with a quarterback that's at least uh, coherent and not Drew Locke. And Teddy Bridgewater is a free agent, so I don't think it's going to be Teddy Bridgewater. So to me, the Broncos, contingent or not contingent, I just think they're going to see tremendous uh, strides. Hopefully they get that quarterback and that missing piece and that team's, you know, almost a super, you know, looking like a Super Bowl contender. My biggest regression, I think, is going to be the Saints. I talk, already talked about it a little bit. This team with Sean Payton, with that fucking awful offense, uh, scratched and clawed their way to what the seventh seed last year in the playoffs, or did they even make? Did they make the playoffs in seventh seed, or did they just barely miss out? They missed out. They just barely missed out, but they were so close to making the playoffs, right? So I think the natural trajectory of this team with Alvin Kamara question marks, they have no quarterback. It's a coach that's defensive minded, not really fixing the offense in the short term. I think the only place for them to go, at least next year is down. So the team that I see making the biggest regression next year is going to be the Saints because they just, again, they don't have the personnel. They don't have the cap space. They don't have enough draft capital. And the one player that was at least a, a staple for them is, you know, has, has all these off-field issues now. So you may not even see the field for much next year. So uh, to me, the Saints, the biggest regression, I like the Denver Broncos is the biggest progression. But it'll be interesting. I think that's that's what speculating is all about. That's what the offseason is all about. Because what can we do when there's no actual football? We can speculate. Um, anything else you guys want to talk about with these coaching hires? Yeah, fun fact. I don't know if I already mentioned this, but with the Nathaniel Hackett um, hire that the Dolphins did, the 49ers get the Broncos? Two... Dolphins? Uh, no, sorry, not Nathaniel Hackett. Uh, oh, Mike Miami McDaniel. Dolphins. Uh, Miami Dolphins, uh, Mike McDaniel, McDaniel hire, uh, the San Francisco 49ers get two third round yeah, uh, picks. Cause he's, for, cause he's a minority. Yeah. Yeah. So I think his mom is black. His dad is white or vice versa. One of those students. Yeah. His and dad's so, black. 
That's like okay. So third uh, third round pick for this year's draft and the third round pick for next year's draft, which I yeah. thought I did because of the Rooney rule. I had no idea about that. Until yeah. I was researching. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome, dude. That's like, right. It's like a cheat code. I would just keep hiring minorities. Yeah, yeah I mean, and, and I think that's the devil's advocate side of it is people can just keep doing that, but they're not hiring the right person for the job. They're just getting the extra compensation and draft pick. It's like yeah. we can literally get two third round draft picks. Like besides the Vikings, most people think third round draft picks should see the field. So I'm mm-hmm. uh, pretty sure they're contributors in the short term. So uh, that's going to be, that, I mean, again, good for them, but yeah. um, Mike McDaniel, put him on my list of biggest question mark in terms of the sky is the limit, but also, dude, maybe this guy just wasn't meant to lead a football team. I don't know. I, I, I'm so on, on, on two sides of the coin with Mike McDaniel, but it's intriguing. Nonetheless, uh, there's going to be a lot more to talk about in the off season about all this stuff. Um, I think, you know, we're going to try to bring episodes about we'll obviously do a mock draft for the NFL draft that's coming up. Uh, we'll do a mock draft for fantasy football that's coming up. There's so many free agents that we got to talk about as free agency opens up. I mean, big dates that I've listed on here, guys, uh, beginning February 22nd, you can start designating franchise tags to players. And we'll, we can talk a little bit more about that in the next episode. March 1st starts the NFL combine. So that's when you're going to see so many guys draft stocks, either rise or drop right now. There's no quarterback that's supposed to be drafted in the top 10. Well, you bet your ass. There's probably gonna be a quarterback that gets drafted in the top 10, just because some team is going to reach some teams going to like what they see in the combine and so uh and then obviously march 16th is when free agency period and the new actual football season starts so uh obviously further down the road you have the draft april 28th april 4th you can start uh reporting to practice for teams that had a new head coach which this is weird i didn't know this did you guys know this april 4th is when teams that have a first year head coach get to report uh, and begin their off-season programs April 18th is when teams who have returning head coaches uh-huh. get to start beginning their offseason program. So new head coach. Yeah. We give you two weeks to figure that shit out. Nice. <laughs> so two, two weeks, uh, a head starting compared to the other teams. So, uh, big dates, obviously we'll try to bring you guys still weekly content. We want to do the draft. We want to do the free agents. We want to talk about all that good stuff. Do you guys have anything else to touch on? No, dude, you got me so excited talking about all these dates and off season. This was in 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 Madden. The off season times is one of my favorite times. I know the gameplay is great, but like the draft and all of that stuff that you have to do, I love it. It's great. Yeah, dude. It's and now that now that we're in and now that we're molded and engraved into football content, there is yeah. no shortage of content in the off season. Uh, again. Thank you guys so much for sticking through the season with us. Hopefully we can bring you so much more enjoyable content in the off season. I'm Sweetcar. We got Shovit Shashout. We're the only playbook guys. We'll see you next week.